everybody, you are listening to the Chronic Sisters podcast. You are joined by your host, Jess and Sean. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome. Three. Episode four. Five. Four. Five. Five. Four. Four. <laughs> four. <laughs> Episode four. We've been really good, though, and we're trying to get a week ahead of ourselves so that yeah, when one of us crumble, so we're a bit we're a bit all over the shop. But this is episode four yeah. coming to you live the 31st of July. Oh, all right. Yeah. That, that spun me out. This whole doing it before it's happening thing, because we're so used to doing it on the fly as it goes, like the on the Friday. <laughs> so I'm just like, what day is it? But yes, last week was our beautiful friend Jackie's episode. Yes, so good. And we are now in donor awareness week. week. We're coming to the end. Yes. Yeah, so last I hope day. you all clicked on registered you can also register not on this week it's not just open for a week it's open 365 days and a did year you know, because your gal loves a fun fact um that every year by raising awareness for donate life week mm. the goal which they have managed to get every year for the last few years is a hundred thousand new donors wow a hundred thousand well i hope that some of our listeners are some of those a hundred thousand then same that would be really cool. It would be really cool. We'll have to do a poll to see if anyone Put did it. Put a story up and tag us and tag Donate Life and say that you've become yes. a cheeky donor. Yes, absolutely. We'd love to see it. Uh, we'll make a little um, highlight reel on our yeah. Instagram for it, for Donate Life. And like we said last week, Sean and I are both registered donors. Boo-boo! Two yes. countries. Yes, two countries. Okay, overachiever. My passport for, for England came the other day. Yeah, I know. And the whole of the podcasting world saw your photo. <laughs> I know. That was fucking terrible. I looked like I was a drug dealer. Hashtag humble. The bags under my eyes are Gucci. horrendous. <laughs> fucking Fendi, babes. But the um, actual passport looks okay. Like it doesn't look as bad as the photo. I think because... Did you, you filter it? Oh. <laughs> I wish. No fucking filter was going to save that monstrosity of a passport photo. Oh my goodness. So bad. Oh, so bad. You should have seen the ones I, di- I took and I didn't use. That was the best of the bunch. Did they let you do more than one? It was on your camera phone. It was oh, on my you phone. Did it. Yeah. Oh, I've it's never had that. I've gone to the place and stand in the post office with a little old woggy grumpy well, lady who's like, that's it. I yeah so I did that for um passport photos at my local um post office here in Australia and tried to use that photo on my English passport and they said no thank you it's too dark please do a digital one so then you can do it as long as it's on like a plain background like on a plain wall but trying to find a plain wall in my apartment so you're telling me you did that photo and you still look shit yes (laughs) That's ex- that's exactly what I'm telling you. I'm also telling you that I took that photo when I had COVID. Why? Because <laughs> I needed it done. Why did you put some like <laughs> concealer on? Dude, I don't own that shit. So I would have loved to have put that why, on my face, but I don't own it. Why didn't you go and see Fion before you did I that? I had COVID. Uh, I okay. couldn't. I was isolating. Anyway. It was Zach's photography. <laughs> He's fired from being fucking, the photographer. Fucking hell. But Zach, to be you honest, are not taking our podcast pics. But to be honest, though, the quality of the content he was photographing was pretty diabolical. So, you know, you can't blame the photographer if the thing looks like shit. It's still going to be a pile of shit regardless of who takes the photo. You know what I mean? Anyway, this week, 
we have another exciting guest on because like we told you, this season is the season of other people's stories and we are going to travel to the other side of the world, back to the motherland, to the UK, to speak to Sophie Ward. A very, very cool chick. She is a cool chick, hey. With cool very story. cool accent, like you. <laughs> Bit cooler. She's a, she's a northern gal um, from up north in the UK. And so Sophie growing up was set on being a swimmer in the london olympics she was on the great britain team um she also went to the youth european olympics as well and she was fucking smashing goals um and she's going to tell us all about her health journey and how she came to have lyme disease um and everything in between and look it was an eye-opening conversation, a disease and a condition that I don't know much about. I don't think the listeners know much about. There's not a whole lot out there. No, and I actually learn so much from this conversation. So um, firstly, thank you so much to Sophie for spending some time with us and sharing her story. Um, But here is our chat with Sophie. All right, welcome to the podcast, Sophie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me on. I'm really excited. We are so happy that you were able to find the time and that we were able to balance um, the time differences because you're coming from us from where in the world right now? UK, so yeah, near Manchester. Yeah, up north, back in the homeland for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we got it right this time. Our last interview that we did internationally, we were a day early. So I'm glad that we're all here at the same time. <laughs> oh, we really screwed that up. Yeah. yeah, it's better to be a day early. Like yeah. yeah, better to be a day early than a day late, though. Yeah, true. True yeah. that. Um, yeah. I must also say for you and for our listeners as well, my family are from Manchester. So if I start to sound more northern throughout this episode, I'm not taking the mick out of you it's (laughs) it's how it's It's just that like chameleon thing of like I mirror whoever I'm talking to and because my I've grown up with my nana and my granddad from up north and my mum's from Manchester as well it can easily just come out that's a talent in itself yeah it's a talent but it can it can get you into a bit of trouble um but but what we like to do on like first um when we get interviews on our podcast sophie is we just like to take a moment to check in with you and how are you feeling so how are you feeling today what's your spoon count where are we at well with this heat that's just sent me off yeah like i'm not good in extreme weathers anyway so whether it's really cold or really hot like my body can't cool itself down naturally and mm-hmm. it can't warm itself up so mm-hmm. once it gets to that freeze mode yeah in freeze mode and when i get to that really hot mode like i just can't cool down like i had about three fans on me last night because i thought i'm gonna be sick, I'm gonna be sick. yeah so can but, you yeah. can you share with because we've got a lot of listeners in america and australia can you just tell us what you're going through in the uk right now yeah so we're going through a little bit of a heat wave um, <laughs> which for the uk is like never heard of <laughs> I think it hit like record highs like in London yesterday it got up to like 40 degrees yeah which obviously when you've not got air con and you don't have a pool to jump into it's a nightmare yeah and here yesterday the hottest it got was 36 at like one o'clock in the afternoon yeah no and then it just was it was like 
at through the night it was like 29 degrees it wasn't even like dropping dramatically either yeah so it was just like there just like the fans on everywhere mm. but it was just horrible because it was just that sticky hot as well it's yeah and it's always different like this is what i found when i first moved to australia it's different when you're not on holiday in heat yeah. when you've got a function yeah. and like do day-to-day like shopping going into work and all that doing the laundry yeah. Um, that's not the one to be doing in 30 degree no. heat. You want to be by a pool, sipping on a drink and wondering exactly. about like what you're going to have for dinner rather than the traffic that you've got to sit in to get to work. Yeah, well, I felt bad mo- moaning because obviously I work from home. So I was kind of like in and out of the house and I thought that was bad enough. But obviously my partner's a bricklayer and he was out in the full heat all day. So I just don't know how he coped because I just, I wasn't coping. Yeah, no, it's, um, I I can't even fathom what you're going through right now. And it's just, especially when, let alone as a baseline, but let alone when the temperature change can affect your symptoms and how you manage them and potentially bring on a flare, right? I mean, like, how do you go with your temperature gauge? (laughs) Not great, eh? Yeah, well, yesterday when I went to work, I couldn't feel my toes because it was so cold. It's so cold here. And I've got Raynard, so I lose sensation in my hands and feet. So I couldn't feel my right foot. So I'm, like, walking in with a stanky limp to work (laughs) because I cannot feel my toes. And then because I'm an intensive care nurse, I was in full PPE because of COVID. So I was in, like, scrubs, a gown, a visor, gloves a 95 mask mm. and i was dripping and i i took my temperature and i i, ha- I had a temperature because i can't regulate it at all so when i'm hot i'm like, I'm like get me the fuck out of here yeah and i yep. couldn't get all my clothes off i was stuck in an isolated room and for 12 hours i was just dripping in sweat and i feel like crap now because i'm so dehydrated didn't drink it was mm. awful and then I literally walked out of the hospital. I was like, oh, my God, now I can't feel my feet again. <laughs> this sucks. And then I Gone put my, one. like, Katmandu jacket back on. Yeah. And I, like, rugged up and then cranked the heater. And I was, like, uh, goosebumps, sweating, goosebumps, sweating. And, yeah, no, I'm useless too. So what I don't a know seesaw. how you do it. Yeah. What a seesaw. I think it's the panic that sets in as well. When yeah. you start to panic, it makes it worse. Cause oh, like, yeah. You feel trapped in that situation. You're like, what can I do? Like, yeah. I can't do anything to help myself yeah when i'm in the mask i'm like i'm so hot i'm so hot i need to breathe but i can't breathe and then you think about how claustrophobic you are in the mask and then you get like oh i can't get out (laughs) once you start it's a slippery slope to that full (laughs) panic town yeah exactly exactly so sophie you are doing amazing stuff over in the uk but first i wanted to talk about you before we get on to all of the amazing things that you're doing so can you tell us about your health journey? So for our listeners, um, can you explain basically kind of how your symptoms started and then what diagnosis you have currently? Yeah. So basically, like my diagnosis is Lyme disease, but obviously it's turned chronic because mm. I went nine years undiagnosed. Wow. But how I got it was um, I used to be a big swimmer, was a GB swimmer went out to Beijing to watch the Olympics to wow. friends compete because like London was the goal it was everything to me that's what I was working towards I was on all like the programs with like British swimming and everything wow and that was just the goal so my coach just said go out there for a holiday watch your friends get the atmosphere so that you're ready for London sure so I did and I loved the Olympics it was amazing but because we traveled all the way out to Beijing 
my dad was like, right, we'll go, we'll go and see the sites, we'll go to see the pandas, blah, yep. blah, 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 as you do as a tourist. Mm. And um, we went obviously go to go and see the pandas and you, you get up close with one, you get a picture. And it was at that point when I came away from the pandas, we got back in the coach to like move on to the next destination for like the next part of the tour. And I was sweating buckets. Like I could not stop sweating. I could not control my temperature. I felt like I was going to be sick in the bus. Oh, God. And I, like I said to my mum, I said like, because it was air-conned as well in the mini bus. Mm. It was quite a high-tech one. And I thought, well, why, why aren't I cooling down? Like there's air-con blowing on me. So my mum was like, no, Sophie's, something's not right with Sophie. We need to take her back to the hotel. So I went back and we called the doctor and they just said, it's probably just like, like a sickness bug because Chinese food over there is not like Chinese food over here. Yeah. We were in the Olympic Park. They had all of like the Western food. So like I hated it, but they had McDonald's, which for athletes is just like an absolute nightmare. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> it was like McDonald's and like fast food, like, restaurants yeah it was your normal food that you'd get over here whereas when you got out into china it was very very different so i just thought i've caught something from what i've eaten mm. and it's sickness bug they gave me two days worth of antibiotics and after that i felt okay but it was when i got home um sort of i'd say like three and a half years down the line so it's probably about 17 and a half and I just wasn't able to train like my body wasn't performing like it should have been like mm. I wasn't bouncing back I was just lagging behind my muscles just weren't as strong like I was having a lot of like muscle weakness and wastage yeah I've got all these food intolerances which meant I wasn't able to eat the normal food that I was eating so I was losing a lot of weight very dramatically yeah I just I was losing a part of me really mm. and I got to like 18 and all my friends were going out drinking and I couldn't do it. I couldn't tolerate it. It just made me sick. It made me more ill. I'd come back like shaking. My immune system would drop. Wow. I'd get infections, like migraines, um, reoccurring throat and urine infections. And I just, it just seemed to snowball, like loads of things, loads of different symptoms. And I sort of, I was, well, obviously I'd given up swimming by that point because I couldn't train. And when I was 18, it was London 2012 anyway. So that was hard because I had to watch, like, yeah. everyone else go. And, like, I really wanted to be there. Yeah. And that really kind of made me spiral into, like, a depression. And because I didn't know what was going on. Like, mm. I was going to the doctors and they were like, you're just depressed because you've had to give up your swimming. And I'm like, I'm not just depressed. Like, I've got this, that mm. and the other that's going on. Yeah. And, like, over here, they literally just, like, treat you her symptom yeah so if you go in with like a throat infection they'll treat that they don't look at the bigger picture thinking right well you had throat infection this week you've had like a kidney infection last week you've had migraines in the past mm. they don't sort of like put them all together and think right where's this pattern what's mm. going on so I really found that hard because they they kind of said that like I was making my symptoms up yeah then when I got to I think, well, I was 22 at the time. And um, it was the year before I got diagnosed with Lyme because I had to go down south. And I'd lost a lot of weight. By this point, I was like two stone down. Wow. I was getting like really, really worried. And I lived alone. So like it's probably partly my fault because I wasn't eating enough because I was so scared of eating the wrong thing. Yeah. I'd be ill and then being on my own and something happening. Like 
because I was in a townhouse as well. So I always thought that I'd fall down the stairs. And yeah. I'd, if I'd fall down one stairs, I'd like fall down them all. So I was like really conscious. Mm. But then my mum was like, oh, you're anorexic, you're anorexic. And my family were like, oh, you're anorexic. And then the doctors, like I went to the doctors again and they were like, right, we're going to have to section you. Like you're obviously mentally like ill. Wow. And I was like, not like I know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I just got diagnosed with Lyme, but they didn't want to accept Lyme because they, over here, like Lyme disease isn't classified as like a chronic illness. It's just classified as something that you get a tick bite, you get it treated, it's gone. Like it, it doesn't like live on, but obviously yeah. you know, it does linger. They tried to section me and my mum said, look, you're going to have to go in on your own accord because if you go in on your own accord, I can get you out. Yeah. Wow, like they put me on a liquid diet. I lost, I think, like I, I lost like another five point five pounds. I think wow. in like four days that I was there, the first four days, because they thought that I didn't eat, and I was like, I do eat. It's mm. just like I'm not getting enough. Yeah. So, and I was so hungry, and like obviously, like the girls that are in there, like they didn't want to eat, and mm. they were like giving them food, and I was like, I'll eat your food if you yeah. don't want to eat it. I'll eat. It. Like I was so hungry that by that point. And it's kind of like the mental sort of trauma that you go through. Because, like, coming out, like, because at the end, like, my line consultant, he said to my mum, he was like, you need to get her out because, the, A, when they're feeding her, they're giving her everything she shouldn't have, like milk and stuff, and it's yeah. making her more ill. Yeah. So he pulled me out. But when I came out, like, literally, I would go through all the cupboards and, like, literally just fill up on anything. Just thought, ravenous. Tomorrow, yeah. yeah and I thought tomorrow I might be taken away from me and I might not be able to eat for yeah. like and I'd be hungry so it was awful but then like after that I sort of started my Lyme treatment and went through that whole process and I had to learn and adapt and it was very hard to learn to like love my body as it is now because I was so used to being like the strong athlete mm. but to go that to basically like anorexic and then people like call you out on that that was really hard because they didn't know what was going on in my body. They just saw the outer shell and thought she's got problems. Yeah, and that's awful, really. Yeah, I've I similarly when I was younger because I have Marfan syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder, and part of that is that we don't hold much weight, and they were quite long yeah. and elongated. And all through my childhood and my teenage years, similarly people would assume that I was anorexic. And psychologically, when you're not anorexic, um, you start to feel ashamed of how you look and how you carry yourself. And you also think more about, like I would, I would not go to the toilet after eating in a restaurant or somewhere public because I thought yes. people would think that I was eating and then um, purging afterwards. Yeah. And I completely understand, especially now as an adult and as a nurse, I understand that there is a huge psychological element of eating disorders and disordered eating. But when you don't have that and you're being held to that standard yeah. or that opinion, it's really hard to exist because you almost want to scream at everyone uh, that's not it like that that's yeah. not even close to what it is and you have no idea and so I completely yeah. understand that that frustration and then that also that battle with loving 
or trying to accept your outer when everyone around you is telling you that you shouldn't or that is questioning it or pointing it out as if it's not normal when it's like so much more than just your appearance it's like a byproduct of your suffering and your your chronic illness it's all it's just so disheartening when that happens especially random people like don't randomly talk to someone about their appearance you have no idea what's going on people don't think they're worth it either with my dad's business like because he owns like sort of caravan parks Mm. and they have like big conferences and big meetings and we used to go to them and like these like older men would just like turn to me and be like you look awful you look sick like what's wrong with you and i'm like literally i've cried behind the hotel door yeah and i've got myself out like, can we just, like, appreciate that, like, I've pulled myself out of, like, this deep place to be here. So, mm. Obviously, because you want to keep working, you've got to work, you've got to go through life. But it's hard. It's very hard. And then when your family start questioning, because mm. I had the same, like, when we were on holiday, my mum, like, turned to me because, I like, I drink a lot anyway because of my migraines. Like, mm. I always drink water. Yeah, amen. So at the end of the like I would I'd be like I'm bursting to the toilet we've been sat at this table now for three hours mm. like you always go to the toilet after food and I was like yes but if you look I always like go with someone so yeah. like, I'll say to the table is anyone else going to the toilet and mm. um, like do you want to come with me like I never went on my own yeah so a lot of my time I could go with like my brother's girlfriend or whatever yeah and she was like well I just think it's very fishy and I was like but you feel like you're having to micromanage your like basic existence yeah yeah on top of everything else yeah and it's just it's just to reduce that mental load um that's of something that's not even there like it's not even a part of you but you've got to treat everyone around you like you said micromanage them to the point so they actually believe in you and then like I'm sure from what you you've shared with us in your story you then get to the point of am I like because everyone around you is telling you repetitively that something is wrong something is wrong and you're like no it's not and then you're like if you hear a story for so long you start to believe it and you're like hang on have I missed the the mark here telling you as well like when doctors are saying like there's nothing wrong like it's you yeah I'm like why would I make this up like, why would I, why would I be doing this? Why? And I think as, for your story as well, your, your identity at a young age, like at a peak age of being a teenager around being an athlete and being a swimmer and working towards that, that whole part of you, you could no longer do anymore with seemingly no reason other than it just happened against everything you were trying to do and trying to build yourself up from that is hard at the best of times let alone when everyone's saying you're doing it to yourself that must have been really difficult to comprehend during that time it it was 100 percent. like I know like I moved out of my house when I was like 19 because obviously with swimming I was used to like traveling away and I found it very hard going back living in that family house like all the time when I've been traveling with like swimming and like British women since I was like 12 13 (laughs) yeah and I was away like every weekend so I really found it hard being in the house and having the pressure of my like parents like having to go up my body and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so like I moved out and 
it got to the point where like I wouldn't want to see them for like weeks and months yeah. and when they did I'd be like right I can only come around for like two hours because I know that like that two hours I would be exhausted mm. like mentally and physically mm. for having to try and like it sounds awful but like perform yeah yeah so it'd be like trying to find clothes that like were baggy so they didn't like comment on my appearance mm. and trying to be like upbeat Sophie that they already knew like and say like oh I was doing this with work and I'm doing that and blah 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 and like look like my life is full yeah. but actually like I'm going to work and I'm coming back and I'm crashing because I'm so exhausted I'm not coping with it very well yeah and that's really really hard and obviously I think like when I did get the diagnosis I think my mum felt guilty as well yeah because obviously like she was always in the back like saying it's like you you need to get yourself right you need to make changes blah 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 mm. and then when I sat in front of my Lyme consultant and he was like I don't know how you've made the five-hour trip down here like wow. your Lyme is the highest result that I've ever seen like you shouldn't be sat in front of me right now wow and I just like didn't know what to like for so like I just burst into tears at that point because for so long and so many years mm. I'd been fighting this and especially from like ages 18 to 23 those five years were the hardest because obviously that's when I lost all my weight yeah that was when I was being like criticized and like sectioned and yeah. all that jazz and all that trauma mm. and then my mom like got upset and she was like oh like I didn't realize and he was like, right, we need to get you, like, your heart checked. We need to get all your organs checked because yeah. we need to see where we're up to. And, like, the panic that my... Because my dad's got heart issues and he mm. had a massive heart attack. He nearly lost his life, really. Wow. So as soon as heart issues come into the mix, yeah. bubble panics. So she was just, like, a bit, like, crying and couldn't stop there. Yeah. And I just thought, to be, to be honest, like... I felt bad that she felt bad, but I also felt like as a as a mother, you probably should have listened to me. Yeah, almost like I told you so. I, I yeah. wasn't lying, yeah. Yeah, and it, it wasn't in like a horrible way, but no. I just thought like, you've put so much pressure on me mm. over these five years. Like wore me down to the point where like, I, I didn't want to be around her. Like I yeah. didn't want to yeah. be around my family because I, I couldn't, like I felt so much shame and so much guilt mm. that I terms with and I just I felt yeah it was almost like a relief when I got a diagnosis but but obviously then you've got to process the fact that it's chronic and you are going to be on treatment and it is going to get worse as time goes on and then you you've got to go through the whole process of again of sort of coming to terms with that part of it and so, like, I know we spoke about, you know, being sectioned and going through doctors that didn't believe you, but how did you find your Lyme disease consultant? Like, how did you end up going down that pathway? Like, how did you find him five hours away? Like, how, who was the person that was like, we should investigate this? It was like, it was the weirdest thing because I, they gave me like sort of like a depression consultant up here um, because obviously they said that I was just depressed and blah, 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 and I need to go and see someone. And he was, like, putting on me on antidepressants and stuff. And it was a time when they were, like, questioning, like, my eating and everything. And I just said, look, like, I, I have got, like, so many intolerances. Like, dairy is making me sick to the point where, like, I'm led on the bathroom floor. Like, my stomach is, like, physically hurting. Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not just, like, making it up. Mm. And he said, look, like, go and get an allergy test done at Preston Hospital. So I did. And I went to go and 
speak to the guy who did my test there. He said, what other symptoms have you had? And I said, like, sore throats, migraines, um, like, urine infections, like, literally, like, everything. Yeah. And he just said, oh, well, maybe it's, like, chronic fatigue syndrome because, like, obviously you've been an athlete. You, you may have, like, gone through some trauma and mm. stuff like that. So I went back to my depression consultant and I just said he thinks it could be like chronic fatigue and I'd never even heard of chronic fatigue yeah and he turned to me and he was like I know someone that's really good at like in that field so it's like okay he said but the problem is like he's five hours away like he's near London yeah and at that point was like we'll travel we'll do anything uh, yeah by that point you are you're desperate for an answer for anything and then but like on the way down I remember my mum saying to me she was like this has to be like the last ditch effort because like we've been to so many consultants we've had so many tests done yeah we've gone private we've gone like through the nhs and yeah she was like we've done everything so at first like i was kind of like panicking oh my god God, yeah my last chance yeah to find something out and he like he sent me through like loads of forms to fill out so basically like two weeks before my appointment I had to do temperature checks. I had to write down how I was feeling, how my food was feeling, what I'd eaten. Yeah. Like everything, like a sleep diary and everything. Yeah. There's like, I've never had to do this before. Yeah. And then when I went down, like he took my weight, he went through all my symptoms. He asked me where I traveled to, if I'd ever had any like bites or like mozzie bites. And I was like, well, you know, in Turkey, I used to get like a lot of mozzie bites. Mm. He said, you know been anywhere else or traveled anywhere else where you've been ill and that's when I said Beijing yeah um and he was like all right okay he said right well I think I roughly know what it could be but I want to run some blood tests and they've got to be sent to Germany yeah so it's like fine I'll do it yeah so I had to go to Manchester go to a same day clinic take these bloods FedEx them over to Germany and my consultant just said, look, come back in a month. I'll have the results back. Yeah. So I went back in a month and, like, I sat there and that's when he said, yeah, you've you've got Lyme. As it's, like, an Asian strain. You had I had an European strain and the Asian strain. So that's why he thinks it's probably when I was in China. Right. Because I got ill quite quickly. Yeah. And I was ill a lot. Whereas, like, the mozzie bites that I'd had in Turkey, I was just bitten and nothing else yeah sure it's like a slight irritation but not like a systemic yeah. reaction like you had when you were in Beijing yeah exactly so he he thought like that's where I got it from but mm. a normal like obviously a positive Lyme result is like one mm-hmm. so if you get one that's a positive but mine was like 2.4 right so yeah so he was like it's like quite bad and then also like I had Coxsackie virus yeah um, yeah which comes from China and they'd had an outbreak the year before where like a number of people had died. Yeah, so he said right. like, obviously it was something that bit you when you had like was next to the panda, pandas. So. Pandas. Bloody hell. And, and you don't think of them to be carrying ticks. You think of like just grass being in the field. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, cause you get, so you get bombarded with like tick treatments for dogs and cats and like long grasses and stuff. But you know, you don't really think about not for a panda. Yeah, not not from a panda. <laughs> yeah. But so five. So that was it. Five years between you getting bitten or going to Beijing and you actually getting a diagnosis. No. So when I was bitten, I was fourteen. Oh shit! So it was four years before London Olympics. Wow. But it 
they would start coming out because it can lay dormant for 30 years. So I think, obviously, as an athlete, you do push your body quite a lot. Sure. And I had an injury as well when I was like 16 and I was out for a while, like, and I was doing like rehab and stuff. Mm. And I think that was kind of when I started to see the decline in my body when it came to like training. Yeah, sure. Even though I'd done all my rehab, I wasn't making the progress I should be. Yeah. when I was 18, they really kind of hit me because I couldn't go out with friends. I wasn't able to eat the same and it was it just snowballed from there, really. Far out. It's such a, like, so I work in rare disease within my job and it's, there's a phrase in rare um, and undiagnosed diseases called the diagnostic odyssey. And okay. you have had like a picture perfect version of a diagnostic odyssey which basically translates to a a difficult journey and so it's a greek word um it's it's about greek mythology and whatever anyway that's a side note that's beside the point (laughs) but what it is is it 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 causes someone who is unwell with a majority of symptoms um, that may not on paper or at first glance look like they're connected and they then go and see multiple specialists and have multiple tests, exams, um, procedures that are supposedly helping, but really no one's taken the time to look holistically at the person to connect them to actually give them a diagnosis. And that can actually take on average seven to 10 years. And so your story of listening to your struggle from, you know, from the point where you were bitten in China to all of that struggle and trauma that you had during your early teens, late teens, early adulthood is the picture perfect example of a diagnostic odyssey and it is so heartbreaking to hear that it's still it's still happening like we know that it happens in theory but to actually observe it and having lived through it like yourself it's just the most I can't imagine how frustrating that whole process is because you feel like the medical field when you're unwell is supposed to give you the answers and when no one seems to be connecting the dots for you, it can be so disheartening and so frustrating that you feel like you can't turn anywhere. And I can't imagine how you felt being nearly sectioned for an eating disorder that you didn't have when it was just a chronic illness flaring to the point of major breakdown with nothing to help you. I just, I, how did you, how did you pull yourself through that? That's, that's those struggling years. Like, how did you do that? Like, looking back now, I don't actually know how I got through the days. I I know, like, in the thick of it, I basically wasn't really getting out of bed because I was so weak as well, like, with losing so much weight. Mm. But it was, like, depression and, like, having to deal with life. Like, I just, I didn't want to deal with life anymore. Yeah. And, like, I was willing to, like, give it all up because, like, I, I didn't know what to do. Like, I was just in pain. Like, everything that I did was just, like, not working. Yeah. Um, and I was just getting so frustrated. And then, obviously, when your, like, family doubts you as well. And then put into, like, the hospital where I couldn't relate to any of the girls in there. And I found that really hard as well because, obviously, they're going through a lot themselves. Yeah. But, like... Different journey. Yeah, completely different. But, like, I try and, like, 
because I always used to do it at swimming like when I get nervous like I just talk so I just talked to the other like competitors and they'd be like with the headphones on like head down (laughs) and I'm just like talking about pizza and pasta (laughs) like anything and like that's what I wanted to be like in hospital but like no one wanted to talk Mm. and I found that hard because I was like an hour and a half away from home yeah. So my family did try and come like once a day. Yeah. But you've got like a lot of hours to fill. Yeah. Um, so I was like colouring and stuff, but I just couldn't relate. And I found it, I found it really, like I tried to, like I was like saying, like talking about life. I was trying mm. to take them outside of that and talk about like when I used to travel with like swimming and stuff. And I'd be like, you really want to travel, like get better. Like yeah. be able to see the world and like try and like, do my whole like athlete pep talk uplift come on girls we can do it it's all right yeah Yeah. the only way that i could get through it Mm. to be like that to connect really really like difficult and it was also very difficult because um because i can't control my body temperature (laughs) my core body temperature is like 30 like 34 on a good day wow it was like 35.8 and they kept like retaking it and they were like there's something wrong like I was like actually that's like you've I've got a bit of a temperature for me yeah and yeah all the thermometers because they didn't believe me and got new ones <laughs> because they didn't believe me and they just kept going up to me going we need to take your temperature we need to take your temperature and I was like oh, oh god and like every day they'd pull me into the room and be like so um how do you feel about your body and I was like I don't like it but yeah Again, it, it puts that doubt into your mind. It's like, I don't want to relive the, the way I'm feeling. Like, yeah. It was just so hard. Because they, they were looking at it from a different lens, right? They were trying to fit this yeah. eating disorder template onto you, asking you yeah. the, the questions that they would normally ask in treatment um, and getting an answer that would be similar, but without the same mentality behind it yeah like I, I don't like yeah. my body but yeah. for completely different reasons and like you're saying about connection and you want to connect through talking and you're connecting on a different level how do you find have you found connecting with the limes community hard because like you said it, it's such a rare chronic undiagnosed misdiagnosed disease yeah like, underdiagnosed yeah isn't it? yeah I mean I was a bit like me like similar your journey is far more traumatic but a bit like I've got lupus but was only diagnosed last year and it was a bit the same like went to a podiatrist I had foot problems so they gave me steroid injections had a low-grade temperature had recurrent throat infections so they took my tonsils out had skin rashes so the derm put me on steroids like you know lots of things and it wasn't till one person was like hang on let's look at this yeah yeah but a random physician much like your um psychologist or psychiatrist yeah mine was a podiatrist at the foot doctor when um something's up here why it's not one joint that's inflamed your whole body is not okay it just takes someone outside of the picture it does hey but like how how do you find connecting have have you been able to connect through social media obviously we'll go into it but you wrote a pretty spicy book but like how have you been able to connect with the limes community at first i found it really great because like i could talk and i was like right i've like been through all this trauma blah 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 blah. but then like i think they see like me as me now and then some of them obviously are bedridden or whatever for whatever reason because it affects everybody slightly differently Mm. and they're like you're okay like you can get up out of bed I can't it's like it's not the case of like like I'm used to just like pulling myself out of 
place. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, totally. I'm used to like acting and putting the brave smile on and yep. just doing that. Like I have to do it with work. I had to do it with swimming. I had to do it when I was being diagnosed. Like I never just crashed and burned. Yeah. Really. Um, so like I'm used to doing that, but sometimes you'd get not like trolling, but you'd get some sort of like hateful comments on yeah. social media. Like you'd comment like you being out with your friends and then the next minute like having infusions and they'd be like, Well, you can't be like this person one day and like another person the other and I'm like, So I'm still trying to live my life. Like yeah. Yeah. yes, I have an illness. Yes, it does affect my life on a big scale. Mm. Also, like I don't want it to define me as a person yeah and I also like you only get one shot at life and not everybody gets like the gift of tomorrow so you have to really do as much as you can and you want to be able to see your friends still and yeah even if you can't go out for a coffee maybe they can come around and sit by your bed or like invite them round. yeah like well I you know they can't do that blah 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 they won't do that and sometimes it's very difficult to like talk them down because Rightly so, like, they're angry. Yeah. And what I had to remember was that they're actually not taking it out on me. It's, like, inner anger. Yeah. Like, because of what they're going through. And I I get that now. Yeah. And I did become more understanding. And I, like, eventually, like, when I talked to them, because I talked to them for a couple of days, like, through messages, and I'd be like, look, like, this is, like, my journey. This is what I've been through. Like, I can relate. Mm. And then they sort of like change the tune a little bit and yeah like right, well you need to like maybe be a bit kind because you don't know what someone's going through like yeah yeah Instagram is at the end of the day window shopping it's a two second snapshot yeah. it's not a picture yeah we share our lives on there and our journeys but the amount of people that like share their story and then they get like trolled for it yeah like, the comparison yeah. Yeah, and I think you you you've hit the nail on the head in that it's a, an internal anger or almost like a, a a jealousy because there people can really dwell in a feeling and you can absolutely everyone is entitled to feel their feelings. But I think the art of success is learning how to feel a feeling but not to become overwhelmed by it and I think for Jess and I you know we we are on this roller coaster of life and trying to figure out how to be the career people that we want to be be the people that we want to be but also to manage our conditions to the best of our abilities to be able to do our careers to do our activities our friendships and it's learning the balance and we are all entitled to a bad day we are all entitled to you know feeling our flares and allowing them to be but I think it's about not becoming your condition and not you know you're more than that we are more than that it's part of us absolutely and we need to give credit where credit is due and to respect it but to, for it to fully consume you is where it becomes difficult and you become angry with other people who are in the same diagnosis group as you, seemingly living a better life than you. And I, I completely understand that 
element of it it can be tough because you're supposed to be like you're my people why 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 are you getting angry at me my first ever experience of like hearing about Lyme's disease like you hear about it but you don't hear about it often and it was when I was actually studying nursing and my friend at the time we were all carers and support workers and that's like what we did to make some money because we're studying nursing and we had all these qualifications and she was actually a support worker for a 23 year old girl living in WA with Lyme's disease but she was bedridden But my friend really struggled because she said she would try and go and inject positivity and life and, like, you know, come over and bring Uno cards and, like, you know, try and play games with her, just, like, even in her bed, just, like, sit next to her, watch a movie together. But she was so concerned about her mental health because she had become the diagnosis and she didn't want to live her life. Mm. And it was, she said it was so sad that for like, she'd just lay in bed for 23 hours a day and then to even walk to the bathroom, she'd need assistance. So, you know, my girlfriend would be like, come on, like they were the same age at the time. She was like, let me show you, like, let's have a girly day. Let's do this. Like, you know, let's play a game. Let's paint in bed. Like, let's do something. But she didn't mm. want to do anything. And that's when she said, that's yeah. when you really can see that some people, and it's so sad, but, you know, they're not even getting out of bed. And back then, like, we didn't do as many telehealth appointments as we do now. So she wasn't seeking any help for her mental health. Right. She wasn't doing anything. Yeah. And she just said she did it. She did it for about three years. She worked with her, but she said she made, like, no progress. And mm. she said it was so sad watching someone with so much potential become mm. the diagnosis. But it can be so heavy to wear Absolutely. and to see no end also. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a valid feeling, but it's, it's difficult. And you can be like, come on, we can do this. But, you know, it's when you feel like you're in a tunnel with no ending. Yeah. It, you know, I don't blame them. No, and like you say, like Instagram, it's a snapshot. And like, yeah, Sean and I have days where we look seemingly fine from mm. the outside, but shit, there's still days where I'm like, God, I wish this wasn't a thing. Yeah. God, I wish my life was a little bit easier. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's so hard to navigate. It is so hard. But it, and it is so easy to fall in the trap of like, why me? Why has this happened to me? Everyone else has it easier than I do. Mm. Like, it's so hard. But you kind of t- have taken your experience and put it to good use in that you've written what well, many books actually but you've you've written a book about your Lyme's journey yeah well I wanted to obviously do it just to show that like sort of the rise and the fall um, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit because obviously it proves that yes okay I live like a life now and it's it is better than it was when before I got diagnosed and I'd lost a lot of weight and obviously I've regained the weight I've like obviously got back to some normality but it's also not the life I was living before Lyme. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be like dramatic. Like I don't need to be walking red carpets or doing this and that. Just like small successes in the day and like turning it round and like how you see it. And just like remembering that your heart is what you leave on this world, like the Mm. impact. It's not the illness that defines you. It's your heart. So you just like speaking to your friends and like going out and like being a, like a good person within the community or even just like going out like out to help a bake sale that was for charity like that's a big success that you should reward yourself for and like think right I'm I'm maybe not doing like a full-time job like my friends are mm. or like the career that I wanted but I'm doing little bits that I can that's manageable for me and I'm still making an impact. I'm still getting out there. I'm still doing what I can. Mm. But yes, like, 
my illness holds me back but it doesn't it doesn't define me as a person it's not it's not me yeah and I think that was the big sort of lesson and also the lesson of like obviously we can all be on a path but life has other sort of uh plans ideas yeah yeah directions yeah top the table right over and you do have to rebuild um but you can rebuild and Mm. there's not one thing that defines you like you have many talents you have many skills that you bring yeah and table and you've just got to find like what what passion you've got and I think as someone going through an illness as well I think it's really important to find what your passions are whether it's adult coloring whether it's baking whether I don't know like it's going on a a little walk every day but that's something that gives you joy in that day that you look forward to and I think if you you've got that one thing that really helps just instantly lift your mood but also make life bearable yeah as well yeah and I think you know Jess and I we are both in a career where we care for very sick people um daily and we are both also drama kids from like way young uh, musical yeah. theater to the bone um so we love to bring joy and light into our patients and their families days yes. and that kind of brings us joy to do that for someone else and Absolutely. i think it's you're so spot on in that just finding your your version of happiness because it's not one size fits all and I think it is like you know making it all relative like I'm not going to be climbing Kilimanjaro that's not my gig and I don't want to do it but I'll love a plant you know like it's it's all about the gradients and it's you know and finding that is so important and that's kind of why we started this little project because we found comfort in it for ourselves and then we found out other people did and so it's uh, you know it's a two-pronged thing in that brings us joy and brings other people so you know it's it's forever not a chore because we are enjoying it so much to connect and And i know like when i was like going through like that five-year stage where i was wasn't diagnosed and i was just getting more poorly Mm. like traveling really helped me because like you were saying like obviously talking on like the podcasts and things and talking to other people it actually helps because you realize that people other people do have problems as well like yeah. it's not just you yeah because you think oh like what you know what have I done in the world like why why have what crime have I committed yeah. to deserve this? and you do you think oh my god this is only happening to me but actually like when you get out there talking to people you can relate you find comfort you feel less alone and it it helps massively just Mm. just talking Mm. and I think so like obviously social media it does get a bad rep in some circumstances because you can fall down a big rabbit hole of like the comparison cycle yeah and it's it's almost like when you watch people like with their self-care routines I always say like you can't follow someone else's routine like you have to do what works for you but yeah. getting ideas from someone else's routine mm. is amazing mm. just to like get you started and that's just the same with like talking to people like you'll hear their story what they've gone through what doctors they've seen and that might help you like find your new doctor or 
put you in contact with someone else who might be able to help you yeah and it's all about like learning and getting out there but if you're so like closed off and like shut mm. um, you, you don't get that experience and you don't get that opportunity and I think it's really really important to be open and mm. like, willing yeah to steps absolutely and you've kind of taken your experience like I said with you writing your book um you've also done because you love traveling you've done your recipe book when you're in America um you know and you also you've got a beautiful website with a beautiful blog like all of these things that you've started what kind of came first in your in your timeline of post-diagnosis obviously being diagnosed processing that and kind of grieving your past self and kind of acknowledging the new version of you kind of what what was your first step into the creative space that you've built around you and your experience so for me like it first came to blogging and at first I just blog like recipes for like intolerances that worked for me that I could tolerate that like I thought well there must be other people that have intolerances or like struggle to eat. Mm. So I just kind of just posted recipes basically. But then it turned into like poetry because I love poetry. Mm. And that was like me expressing my emotions, but putting it down like I was just like explaining someone else's. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Like, totally. So obviously I, I knew that like, like obviously people on Instagram who follow me, they are reading it, probably related to it. My mum would always read it and like it. And I'm like, this is how I'm actually feeling. I'm yeah. telling you. Absorb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, and then I'd just kind of blog um, how I was feeling or like as my diagnosis went through, like give people updates and all of that. And then I like moved on to Instagram. And at first, like I didn't really, like I, I did kind of make my, Instagram a bit more like line focused mm. and then I got to the point where I found it very difficult because I didn't I didn't want Lyme to start defining me so yeah. I started like broadening the circle a little bit and thought well everybody with chronic illness or mental illness like there's a lot of things that relate and yeah cross over. yeah so I wanted to like start posting different ideas and like like sleep routines or like mental health talk or anxiety talk because I felt like it, it would be sort of more enjoyed by a broader audience. And then, yeah, I just started my podcast and because I, I thought, well, I did radio for a little time and I really, really enjoyed that. Mm. So I thought, right, well, having like my own podcast where I can discuss like chronic illness topics yeah. or mental illness topics would really like be helpful as well because it was just like, I know that some people don't have good eyesight because of the Lyme or like mm. different illnesses can affect their like, sight or they get headaches so they can't look at their phone for very long yeah or I know a lot of people that get treated for Lyme like they can't have like radiation so like no wi-fi or anything like that mm. so I thought right well at least with a podcast like they can listen to it or it might be like like more easily absorbed yeah so I thought that'll be a great way of doing that and then yeah I just thought I'll write a book to prove that like it's not an easy journey but that hopefully someone or relate to my journey because yeah. a lot of people within the chronic illness community were actually like real like go-getters and like high achievers mm. and they also struggled with like having to go through this process of being like up there to 
like are struggling yeah and they're like having to give up their dreams or their careers or like a complete life shift yeah i really wanted to try and create a book that people could relate to and like find comfort in because i think it it is hard and it is traumatic Mm. i think people don't talk about the trauma that goes on and i don't think you realize the true depth of the trauma either until you like get to a place where you feel a bit more comfortable yeah. and manageable mm. and then when you take the time to reflect you think bloody what hell <laughs> yeah it's not it's <laughs> not until you yeah it's the fight or flight and then when you stop you're like shit, shit. yeah <laughs> that was a lot because <laughs> it's yeah. true though and it takes it takes a moment for you to go oh that was a lot for anyone to deal with and yeah. To validate that experience is also hard, and it's a it's a journey, right? And healing's not linear, and all that shit, and that annoying phrase. But it is true in that it's not okay. I've talked about it once, and I'm good. It will come and yeah. bite you in the butt two weeks from yeah, now when you're having a yeah. key, uh, you know a cup of tea in a random cafe because the yeah. smell of someone's perfume takes you back. Um, so yeah. it's it's allowing yourself to move through that and to be as fluid as possible because I think within the chronic illness community the ability to be adaptive is a key theme in everyone's experience um regardless of diagnosis um and that adaptability is something that is such a strong asset for us to have as people let alone within the chronic illness but just in general um in general life outside of your health journey being adaptive is like a great attribute to have and if that's a silver lining from being you know fucking pulled through the ringer um (laughs) (laughs) i'll take it yeah exactly and i think it's it's like obviously commonwealth games the next week and we are going to go and watch some swimming and i know for me like that that's going to be a hard Hard, yeah and it it just goes to show that yes like right now like i'm like comfortable with what i'm doing or whatever but you're always going to have like flashbacks Mm. it's always going to be hard seasons so Mm -hmm. don't think it's like like healing is a journey like it is a roller coaster and you will have great times where you think you might go like two years where you aren't triggered or you, mm. you feel yeah fixed things, it's hard. <laughs> but then you'll have like a really really bad year where you just feel like you're going like like downhill and mm. it's not the case it's just life likes to throw you tests I yeah and it's it's how you deal with it but every time you go through a test you'll come out stronger for it mm. so yeah, so I think it's just, it's about being kind to yourself. It's about being understanding and just appreciating that it, it's not an overnight job. Like yeah. You do have to put the work in, you do have to put the commitment in, and it's a daily challenge, it really yeah. is. Yeah, ain't that a bitch? <laughs> Such a yeah. bitch. I'm like sitting here, all my joints are so so. I'm like, yes, I feel this. Yep. Healing is not linear. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. today, it's not. Yeah. Fuck, you know? yeah, no. I love it when they're like, right, this treatment will make you feel better, and I think, when Suspicious. I started like treatments, <laughs> I was like, "Yes, like in two weeks, I'll feel like I'm going to be a I'll new be girl. To, I'll be able to do it." And then it never, it never came through, and I'd be like, "Oh, 
Oh, you meant can, average. Can I just ask, what is your Lyme's treatment now? Like, what do you still have to do or infusions that you still have? Like, do you, are there still regular meds that you need to take? Like, what does I'm gonna, it look I'm like? I'm going to ask a pre-question to that. What were the, what are the, your main symptoms of Lyme? And then what, what treatments do you receive? Because I don't think a lot of people actually understand what Lyme disease is? Basically, like, obviously, if Lyme is left untreated, all the, like, the bacteria is basically like a corkscrew. So it drills into all your cells, it changes your DNA so that your immune system doesn't, like, hack into it or attack it. So your immune system is suppressed. And it does the same with your organs. So it will, like, drill through your organs and obviously, like, affect them because it creates its own little home. Smart. That, you know, they can, like, live in. Yeah. Mm. Um, so basically for me, I, I struggle massively with my kidneys, like really, really badly. My gut, basically I've just found out that my gut is not functioning as it should. Oh no. As well, um, I have like pancreas problems, I have liver problems, always have a sore throat, I lose my voice a lot. It's you. Um, <laughs> I have migraines, I used to have like 34 Botox injections. That's in me. <laughs> You're yeah. us. You're us. <laughs> Together, we are one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, like, the, the migraines were just, like, so, so intense. Obviously, like I said, I've got food intolerances, which is obviously related to my gut issues. Uh, yeah, it's just endless. And you get, like, crawling sensations, which I absolutely hate. What? I feel like, yeah, so you get, like, I get them on the back of my neck and sometimes, like, in my leg, where it feels like spiders are crawling you, but there's Stop nothing it. there. Stop it. Yeah. Stop it. Jesus. Stop it now. It's, it's horrible. Like I'm like, ugh. What do you I'm, mean? So the Lyme bacteria has the same cycle as the moon. So every time there's a full moon, like my symptoms. I have heard this. Yeah. I've never heard this. Say yeah. that again. Say that again. So it's they they've got the same reproductive cycle as the moon does. Wow. So when it when there's a full moon, because the gravity drops and the temperature drops. Like that's what works well with the Lyme. So they reproduce, so you get a flare-up of symptoms. I did not know that. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah I'd heard I did heard not know that. that. That's so wild. Last week, last week here is the full moon and I was horrendous. Hang on, this is going to be really dumb. If it was a full moon there, was it a full moon here? Yeah. 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 At the same, it's the same yeah. moon, right? Yeah. Like, no, that's not a dumb question. Like I the shadow, the shadow is the same, right? Yeah, Even well, though we're on the other side of the world, the uh, moon is the same. Well, we had a full moon last yeah. week. That's all I can tell you. So okay. We'll hope it's the same day. My, my dad is going to have a field day with that fact. He's, he's going to be like, oh, Sean, gonna... I raised you better than that, doll. <sighs> he's going to, I feel ashamed. Anyway, sorry, the moon. Yeah, like I, I had a kidney infection for a strong like seven days. Oh my gosh! Sore throat. Like I lost my sense of taste. My headaches were awful. Like my gut was awful. Like I just flare really, really badly. Wow. So that's never fun. And like obviously that's once a month. So that's yeah. my joy. Oh god. Um, and then yeah, I, I basically. I'm, I'm lucky the fact that I can treat at home and I have like all herbal medications. My consultant's very good in that sense. Like he believes more herbal side than like antibiotic. Sure. Like the first, when I first got diagnosed, he said, right, we'll just target it with antibiotics just to get things going. So I was like, all right, okay, not problem. So he put me on IV antibiotics so it could get into my system faster. Mm. And I went into shock, like literally 
Oh, I felt like I was stabbing or like my mum went to go and get some lunch from M&S. She just walked down the road and I, I like I could feel like this stabbing pain like, all over my body. And I was like, oh, like it's just sensations. Like I'll be fine. And it got to the point where like I couldn't swallow. Like I was trying to swallow and I couldn't swallow. So I had to pull the lead because I was like panicking because like the stabbing pain was getting worse and like nothing could touch me. Like mm. I was literally like kicking the bed oh my gosh it's it's hit like it took him three hours to like literally wash this antibiotic that had been in my system for 20 minutes out of my system and like get me under control and like my pain levels down wow and ever since then i've never done antibiotics i don't blame you it it was it was scary because i thought oh it'll be fine it'll be fine and even like when they give me antivirals through IV like that can start my kidneys and my kidneys will start to like struggle mm. um so they have to really monitor like all of my organs but I, I do have a lot of herbal treatments like mm. it literally looks like I run a pharmacy and then like once a year I go down for like my annual review and often like that is if I need to change my treatment or if I'm like ill so like last time um said to him I was like I'm really struggling to get up in the morning like I'm having all these aches and pains like I've got rashes Mm. he was like yeah you've got meningitis he was like I'm gonna have to put like an injection of penicillin in you now he's like I'd have you here for six weeks doing penicillin injections but it's Christmas and you're gonna want to be at home so I was having to take like four of the strongest penicillin I could for six weeks oh my god but this is what I mean, like, I think the doctors were like, oh, like, if you're fine, like, there's not an issue. And I was like, well, I'm feeling really unwell, like, it's not, something's not right. And I go down to my consultant, and he's like, yes, you've got this, you need to be treated with this. So. Just a casual meningitis for right. your doll for Christmas. Merry Christmas. Okay. <laughs> but I hope, like, it's, it's, I think, like, I got tested, like, probably last april and they said oh like you've obviously had meningitis before but obviously it's something that i can reactivate because mm. i think it's a viral one so yeah viral yeah, meningitis so I, watch, so I have to watch that now so um yes that's fun far out but yeah i'm very lucky that i can treat at home currently mm. but when i do have um like a bad spell where I've, i'm feeling very very unwell like he'll say come in mm. and i might do like um vitamin d vitamin c all that jazz like through infusions or any antivirals to try and like boost me up yeah if that's needed to get into my system faster but yeah i'm very very lucky because a lot of people spend months and months yeah in treatment hospital having like iv antibiotics so i'm very lucky that my consultant doesn't believe in that yeah and how is your relationship managed through this because you know you want to be an active person and partner how have you been able to balance general life in amongst this horrendous up and down it's been very very difficult like I I don't I still don't feel like I balance it as well as I should who does Um, really (laughs) maybe not as well as you should maybe as much as you would like because again we put too much pressure on ourselves yeah and I think coming from an athlete's kind of lifestyle mm-hmm. where I used to get up for training at 4 a.m. Yeah, swimming's not a lazy sport, is it? Mm-mm. No. Early Trains, risers. Hours, go to the gym, 
do like an eight hour school day, train again at night for two hours, do another gym session, go to bed, do it all again mm. for six days, a, like six days a week. And now like two hours, like, you know, if going out for two hours, I'm dead. Like a, a lot of times my, my two best friends, they are very, very good. But like, for instance, I went out for like a meal and drinks on um, Saturday night. And it got to like 9 p.m. and I was like, I need to go home now. Home. And I was like, Bedtime. I my boyfriend, like, please may you just set off because like, I'm Shannon ready. wants to go on for another drink, but I'm, I'm done. Like, Save me. I'm literally <laughs> done. Like, I had the process of having to get ready, mm-hmm. traveling there, then actually like talking for like two and a half hours, like eating. My stomach's now upset yeah. because I've eaten stuff that I shouldn't and mm-hmm. I want to enjoy myself. And it's, it's having to take that into account. Yep. You want to live, but you're going to suffer for mm-hmm. it. Yeah, well. it's the spoon spending, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a tough and bill. you have to manage your time. Like, yeah. I just don't like that. Yeah, same. I'm like either all in or all out. I'm either yeah. scheduled to the minute or forget about it. I'm doing nothing. I'm very, very lucky as well, like, that my boyfriend is so understanding. Mm. Because, like when I first became ill like I ended my relationship that was like long term then because I was becoming ill and he didn't really understand and I didn't understand and yeah. I was like this yeah. is bad so I just like cut it off ended it um, and I, I just wasn't with anyone for like seven years and I, I just come to the conclusion that I was gonna like die alone with like nine cats or whatever like that was fine we've all had that <laughs> you are me Sophie. you are me <laughs> and then like my best friend was like just just go on dating apps just talk to some people see and i was like no one's going to accept someone who's got a chronic illness you can't yeah. go out can't do things without having to balance everything oh my god we've all said that exactly those words like yeah. literally word for word haven't we we've mm-hmm. all done it and you don't think someone's going to accept it and i was like i literally you know i was like no and i, I spoke to like three people on this one app and like James was one of them like the other two like they just weren't interested they'd be like oh yeah that's cool like you've done this you've done that like sounds like you're managing things like really well and I'm like you're actually you're not listening you don't get it (laughs) you're not hearing me at all from the get-go he was like googling Lyme disease he would we love a research we love it and he was like I've done my research but I I still like I don't really understand so can you explain I was like yeah of course oh my god we love investment but he was also like so like adaptable so like it was during COVID when we first met so I was like I can't go out Mm. even though things were opening up I was like my immune system's low he was like well FaceTime well so we FaceTimed like for like six weeks before like meeting and even when we met up, I was like, look, like, I've got, like, a two-hour window yeah. where I'm, like, safe. Yeah. And you'll get, like, the full Sophie after that, half dead. Yeah. So, <laughs> Use it wisely. So, uh, he gets it now. Like, he goes out with his mates and I'll never stop him going out. Mm. Like, if I don't have that window. Yeah, it's not comfy. Um, so like, you do it. Like, I, I never stop him and mm. he never stops me doing what I need to do. And, you know, that that's what you need, really. And he's just... If I'm ill, he's like, just ring me. I'll come back from work. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'll deal with it. But it's just nice to have that support. Because yeah. when you're like 20-something, like they want to act like the people you see on Love Island where they're going out all the time. They're like mm-hmm. having fun. They're getting mm-hmm. drunk. They're going clubbing. They're like 
dating like 10 people at once yeah they're not our people no they are not for us not not the one (laughs) not the one and i think because you see it so much like on social media and on the tv yeah that everyone's like that and you'll never find someone yeah and look the bar's pretty low though isn't it if literally every chronic illness sufferer warrior survivor that i've ever spoken to has had the same thought process as we all three of us have had in that no one would ever put up with the shit that I've got to put up with it's too much to ask the bar's pretty low then isn't it dull just to exist and be happy with it how crazy is it it and because we're all you know cis gendered women the bar's set so low and we're made to believe that we're not worthy of anything more than a hello and then you oh please take me so the idea of actually being with someone that supports you, validates you, and, you know, wants the best for you is like this magical Disney fairy tale. thing, yeah. But it's not. Like, we have as much right to be loved and to feel worthy as anyone, and regardless of our chronic illnesses. Realise, you think, oh my gosh, like, I, I was self-sabotaging and I was holding myself back. Yep. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's so easy to get swept away with that mindset because mm-hmm. you're bombarded yeah. with it from all angles. And you're so, not told anything different. Yeah, and you're struggling yeah. with it. So you're like, oh, I better not let anyone else in. I don't want anyone else yeah. to suffer with me. Yeah. Like, it's easier to do this on my own. And then you go, well, now I've done this on, on my own for years. So I'll just keep going because it's too mm. hard to let someone in now. A burden yeah. shared is a burden halved. I know, yeah, but you don't yeah. want to share it, do you? No, very like, selfish. Oh, I don't want to share. It's mine. Yeah. Mm. No sharing, no sharing. So what's oh, next yeah. for you, Sophie? What's what's next on the horizon in in your in your life, in your health journey, in your career, your amazing blog, website, coaching, podcast, books. I mean, I love keeping busy, like I was like I was saying. No. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but every hour of my day was taken up. Yeah. So then when I like became ill, I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do with my time, and I'm a like chronic overthinker. So like, if I don't fill up all of my hours, I just mm. think. Sophie is so me. Like to- she is. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. it's a mirror. So I like to be busy. Obviously, I've got to sort out this whole like gut issue now. Um, yeah. Now that I've found out that it's not functioning properly. I'm going to go back next week because they took biopsies like a couple of weeks ago. So find out the results of that and then go from there with that. And then um, James keeps trying to influence me into going to coaching, just like swimming coaching. Yeah. I, I was like, I don't know if that. If You're not ready like, yet. I don't, I don't know. Like I always said I wanted to be the swimmer. Like I didn't want to coach mm-hmm. because I was pushed to the absolute limits of like being sick and you give your whole life to it I'm like I don't think I could put someone through that (laughs) having lived it yeah and he was like well just just teach like the younger ones and I'm like yeah but it's going to annoy me when they can't read the clock or they turn up late (laughs) or they don't finish at the wall like it's something that I like need to think about but I just don't yeah I just don't know if I'm ready for it yet yeah I think that would be a process also because you know you had your slides set on London um olympics and you know that's a big part of your history um yeah. it would it would take a lot, a of, lot mental, of trauma to unpack yeah mental loading okay. and capacity to be able to do that i think and like obviously when james mentioned it to me he was like you need to do it like you went to european youth olympics like you, you are like an olympian in, in like your own little right mm. 
And I was like, yes, but like that was ages ago. Like I don't have the confidence. Like, yeah, oh, sure. Like, that was when I was 13. I'm now like 28 going on 29. People don't remember me. Like there's a new age of swimming. Like it's not, it's not like it was back then. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, but you'll, you'll be amazing. And it was just like, it like it triggered that trauma in me. And I, like, I didn't mean to get like upset in front of him or like mm. get mad or something that I'm processing. So yeah. I don't know like on the side like I do enjoy running my Instagram I enjoy you know doing my podcast and everything because that helps me like talk through issues that like I feel as well and like sharing them with other people and getting their view on it and I always want to keep that going because yeah. I enjoy that yeah it's so, beautiful yeah, so. and you're doing such a fantastic job as well like you're your whole ethos is just beautiful about positivity but you know living within yourself and I think it's great and what you're doing and putting that message out there it's watering down that fake highly staged stuff that we see yeah. and making it more real and more approachable and almost palatable for those of us who are living in a chronic community to be like it's okay you're not supposed to be glam and in nine inch heels all the time all day every day and it's have okay. all this energy exactly. yeah yeah, and I think it's amazing what you're doing. And so I thank you from the public's perspective of putting your heart and soul into your work. It's fantastic what you're doing. With that in mind, what is the thing that you want our listeners to take away from your episode and your, your story about life as a chronic illness person, about Lyme, about you doing you what is the what are the messages that you want people to take home with them i think the first one is like never doubt yourself yeah like, nice. not crazy yeah you are your best <laughs> advocate yes yeah and you know your body better than anybody else even yeah. like family members don't doubt yourself and the other one like one of my favorite quotes is like you may lose a battle but you'll win the war and i like that is what drives me every day because you may have setbacks but you are strong yeah and, like just take a time to reflect on what you've been through and everything you've pulled through and that just proves to you that you can win and you will win and you you are far stronger than a you give yourself credit for and your actual illness like you are yeah even if you don't feel it you you are because you're here you're surviving you're you're trying to live you've got friends you've got family around you you're giving it your best shot and you may not think that you're having like an impact or inspiring others but you are you are behind the scenes people will be watching you and and taking note and like learning from you basically yeah. and that's that's really important to remember that's such a good quote you've already skipped to the last segment of questions and quotes we love that oh sorry no that's okay <laughs> We can switch it round. We can do quotes and questions. That's a beautiful okay. quote. Do you have any questions for us? I think like, what's your biggest lesson from your like chronic illness journey that you've Ooh, got? Ooh, that's a good one. That is good, isn't it? Your you biggest first. lesson. I don't know. I think it's a lesson that I'm still learning. I, I said a bit in our most recent episode, I am still in a lot of denial and you know how we're talking about the whole it's okay to have bad days it's okay to not be your diagnosis not to be all of you I try to ignore it and pretend it's not a part of me at all yeah I'm like that's true I don't have lupus I'm mm. fine and like today yeah. I have not been good like up to my steroids not feeling great peak flare like the nausea the joint pain the temperatures wild yeah. 
And I know it's because I always feel sick when I do two 12-hour shifts in intensive care in a row, but I still do it every fortnight because I'm like, this fortnight will be easier. And it's not (laughs) This one's different. And so I think my biggest lesson is to not put so much pressure on myself. And, And you said it, you literally named it earlier, Sophie. You said, you know, I can still achieve and not work full time like some of my friends. And for me, I need to accept that. I think that's my biggest lesson. And like as of next fortnight, I am dropping a day of work, a fortnight. But that has taken me three years to accept. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I just need, my biggest lesson is to actually let let myself feel how my body, what my body's trying to tell me and to stop ignoring it. And again, like you were saying, you are your biggest advocate. If you're starting to feel sick and sore, that's not normal. Mm. And other people don't feel like that. Yeah. Don't make excuses. Yeah. And it's not your fault that you feel like that. And you're not a failure. Like come two o'clock yesterday with, you know, five hours still to go of my shift. I had tears in my eyes. I was in so much pain, but I, I would never say anything and I wouldn't stop because if I stopped, then I felt yeah. like I was a failure and yeah, that's just exactly. so, so not me. So I think that's the biggest lesson for me is is to be a bit kinder on myself, it's, I it's think. Always, like you're saying that like obviously you drop that shift and in your back of your mind you're thinking, was that the right thing to do? Literally, like, literally. But it, it, was, it was the right thing to do and you'll see that when you like... Yeah, when I probably actually feel a bit better. And then you'll feel so much calmer, your symptoms will feel better. Yeah. Best thing I ever did, but at yeah. the time you're like, oh, and I know wow. like, yeah. And tomorrow I'm going back to the rheumatologist, and I know that's exactly what he's going to say too. He'll be like, because I like the same diarise my symptoms, and every time I double my steroids, he'll be like, what's the yeah. pattern here? I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not like we're not telling you. I know, I know, but I just, I, it's taken you me so long to accept it. Exactly. You, like, yeah, I, I need to do you it. Can, you can take a horse to water and all that. Yeah. You can't make it fucking drink, even if it's parched. I know, and yeah. she's <laughs> just been trying to make me drink while I'm years. like waterboarding her, <laughs> trying to like fucking oh, drink the water. God. And she's like, I'm not thirsty. I'm not <laughs> sick. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> honestly but that's probably my biggest lesson what's your sister i think my biggest lesson is um similarly in that i've spent a majority of my existence trying to pretend that i'm okay and that i'm normal in in inverted commas and to not allow myself the i don't know to acknowledge the limitations that my body has and to not be angry with myself if i can't achieve something that a fully able-bodied person can um, I was brought up in, a, in an environment where my parents did amazingly in that they never treated me any different from my sister or my little brother. I'm the only one in my family who is unwell. Um, and yeah. so I was the black sheep in that no one had ever experienced it before. Yeah. And they did you know, the best that they can in that they treated me as though I was just you know, fine. Um, yeah, but yeah. that has cemented in my brain of I'm supposed to be able to do everything with no limitation and then that comes with the idea of when I can't do something that I've failed and that has been a huge lesson that I've had to learn over my lifetime to be kinder to myself in my abilities and to recognize that it's not a failing of myself if I need to adapt something or to sit down on a walk or you know, it's it's not that is an unnormal thing 
it's just my normal and acknowledging that my normal is different is different and the best for me and the able-bodied normal just doesn't fit me and I don't fit it and I shouldn't have to and so my lesson the the biggest lesson that I've learned is to actually give credit to my conditions where credit is due and the respect that it deserves rather than trying to shove it in a box and shove it in a cupboard um, because that hasn't helped me <laughs> up until this point <laughs> so and like I think you always have to remember as well like if you were to advise your best friend on like what to do if, you, if they had an illness like how do you speak to them mm. like you need to speak to yourself because we are our worst critics totally ourselves. so what always helps me is like if my bestie was struggling with what I'm struggling with and if like I went to her with my problems. Like, how would I respond? Like, what would what advice would I give to her? And yeah. I need to myself. Yeah, we're so mean to ourselves, and we uh, constantly spit advice at each other. But always, yes. always, and then it's I'm like, fiery. yeah, I know. Yeah. And I'm like, that's really nice that you said that, and it's so nice that you're worried about mm-hmm. me. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna listen. fucking do it. <laughs> but also, you yeah. you hit the nail on the head as well. In that it's, it's exactly what my therapist said to me because I don't like crying um, because oh. I think that's bad. Um, but it's not. We know that it's yeah. not and it's very healthy and I should definitely do it more. But my therapist said to me, you know, if you had a patient who was in pain and upset and sore and they started crying, what would you say? I'd be like, you know, let it out and just, you know, cry your little yeah. heart out. I'm here, you know, let it all out. It's great. You're doing awesome. <laughs> and yeah, you'll feel great. It'll be fine. You breathe at those lungs. Yeah, good crying. And then she's like, and you're different. Why? I was like, well, because it's yeah. me and I'm not allowed to do that because that's not allowed. So, yeah, I think allowing ourselves to be our own patient sometimes would actually be beneficial because we're quite good at our jobs some might yeah. say not to ourselves though we're definitely bad walking advertisements for our own nursing abilities because we're <laughs> fucking falling apart <laughs> but we hide it so well <laughs> worst one i know so funny but thank you so much for your time sophie we really appreciate it if people want to find you where can they find you so my instagram handle is sophie wardy with a y um and obviously my website is so fantastic amazing we will put everything in the description so we'll make it super easy for everyone um but thank you so much and um We all hope you have a fantastic week. Take care. (laughs) Bye. Bye.